P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. It's a great morning in California. Yes, the skies are are uh, blue and it's sunny and it's warm out. It's fabulous. Uh, and uh, my guest is April Higura. April, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling from Reno, Nevada. And what's the weather like there? It's beautiful. Same. Yeah. Uh, northern, you know, high desert up in the Sierra Mountains, right next to Lake Tahoe. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous up there, and, you know, compared to what's happening with heat in the rest of the world, I just heard that Paris was expecting 114 today, so we're very, very fortunate today, anyway, today we're fortunate. So, um, okay, so before we get started, I just want to remind everybody the National Association of Legal Investigators Conference is coming up in July, if you're interested, it's in Philadelphia, and uh, go to the online website um, for the National Association of Legal Investigators, and you can check all the details. But I believe um, the hotels are running out of space, so if you're interested, you better book now. And that's it on that. So uh, April is going to talk about what is near and dear to my heart, and that is what she calls doing God's work from the dark side. I love it. Um, so, um, meaning criminal defense, of course. And so, uh, but April, let's talk a little bit about you first. Um, sure. Yeah, tell me how you um, ended up being an investigator and how you ended up writing a book that you just uh, launched. Well, I actually wrote the book a couple of years ago. But um, I was a singer-songwriter <laughs> in uh, New York City and then in Nashville, Tennessee. And while I was in Nashville, I worked uh, as a paralegal part-time to support my habit of singing. And um, I just fell into a case. I was a paralegal for a law firm that did criminal law and a lot of other areas of law. But they had been appointed on a huge death penalty case on the federal level and they didn't have enough funding or the government wasn't granting funding Mm -hmm. at that time for an investigator, which they're supposed to do. So I sort of volunteered to help out as a paralegal and I went, kind of shadowed the attorney across the the country, um, spoke to witnesses and did a lot of records research. Um, I reviewed 30,000 pages of discovery on the case. So that, mm. that was my first taste. Then uh, after that case, I just, you know, went out on my own, got my license, became an investigator. Uh, and that what was a, in 2001. So eight years ago. Oh my goodness. What an interesting introduction. You must have been blown <laughs> away. I was. It was my first case was in uh, South Central LA, uh, Crips uh, case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was Pretty, pretty interesting. So, um, 
just interesting. What did you learn from doing that case that uh, the misconceptions you had about criminal defendants or the criminal justice system? Well, from that case itself, um, really what I, I, I was, I have to say I was pretty prosecutorial minded prior. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I consider myself a fair person, but you know, when you drive by and a cop stops and has somebody in handcuffs, you're like, Ooh, what did he do? You know I mean? You automatically think he did something because the cops stopped him. Sure. And that's pretty much my, what my mindset was and that people that are arrested and go to jail or trial, they're likely guilty. So that case, I worked with the infamous, or the famous, I should say, Charlotte Holdman. Oh, I know, uh, I know Charlotte, yeah. Yeah, so she pretty much was my mentor as far as mitigation. So I also shadowed her on that case, and I got to go inside you know, high maximum security prisons and meet with the defendant and other witnesses that were also in prison. Mm-hmm. And just watching her really changed my heart, I would say, around the defendant himself, even ones that might be guilty, you know, that they are people. She, she treated him with so much love and care and spent time with his family, and they were all people, you know, and we don't stop mm-hmm. to take a look at that mm-hmm. when somebody's, you know, accused of mass murder or something. So that was, that was a little eye-opening for me in that first case. You couldn't have had a better mentor. I know. <laughs> she, amazing. she was absolutely, absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, I did a yeah, presentation with is. her at the uh, Capital Case Conference in Monterey, and and uh, she was amazing. She's really amazing. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So, uh, was there? What was your takeaway then from from that? Um, my, that particular case. My take. Yeah. Well, like I said. Um, it sort of shifted me because the last thing I ever wanted to do in my life was criminal law, you know, work on the side of criminal justice. Right. Um, on, the, on the side of defense, either side. I just, you know, that was like such a dark, you know, area in my mind. I, I want to go into criminal law, but I, I, was, I was on a path to be an entertainment lawyer. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but, but it just... It was fascinating. I mean, first of all, I find homicide investigation is fascinating. Just the psychology of killing, the psychology that of all the witnesses, of all the parties, of the families, everything just became a focus on people for me, mm-hmm. which was fascinating. I like the psychological element of everything. Of course, digging and getting facts that were otherwise uncovered at that point is uh is fun as well because I'm, I'm a real puzzle person um so it just started intriguing me and when I went out on my own I got hired on a, a double homicide case and the attorney was brilliant got the cases separated so uh, Max Roybal was accused of killing his wife and his prior girlfriend he got him separated mm-hmm. we won both cases after that, I was I was pretty hooked. <laughs> yeah. So, so w- um, when you mean when you say win both cases, so that that's kind of an interesting um, acquittal. An acquittal. Yeah, I say win because right. you know there's no evidence that he killed anyone <laughs> in either okay. of those cases. It was very circumstantial. So it's a win 
Um, I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> I agree. No, but, I, I, um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use it. It's, it is an it is one that is used commonly in the yeah. justice world, but uh, it is an interesting thing because, you know, everybody loses on these cases, unfortunately. Oh yeah. You know, um, I'm sure your client couldn't ever pull his life back together the way it was before. It's, yeah. It's a pretty sad right. thing. Yeah, I mean, especially people who are innocent. I mean, I've done many sex cases uh, where guys are accused of sexual assault on children, and it's really just the mother using that as a a weapon during a custody battle, and these guys are looking at life in prison. I mean, it's it's insane. And then the media has splashed their name all over and they yeah. lose their jobs, they lose their friends, they lose all their associations, and they have to start a new life, even though they're completely innocent. And it's not recoverable, because no matter no. if you're acquitted or not, people still believe what they want to believe. Absolutely. And that's what I was saying earlier, when you have that prosecutorial mentality, because it, I, I think it's just fear-based, and it's sort of societal, but... When you start from there, you, you don't look at the person. You don't look at the mistakes. You're not even aware of the mistakes that happen in the justice system, not just mistakes, but all the corruption. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote the book, because after 16 years at that time, I just really come to realize that the general population doesn't understand <laughs> what really happens and why you need a defense. I mean, so many people think, well, I'll just tell the, the police officer my story, you know, and he'll, he'll mm-hmm. fix it. <laughs> That's not mm-hmm. going to happen. They, no. they are, you know, 90% of the time, I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, instances where they are going to help you in that regard if they really believe your story. But they start out prosecutorial-minded, too, and right. they're, they're not going to help. So, I mean, it was just for public awareness. This is how it really works in my experience. And just to help everybody understand what what really goes on and why defense is essential. Correct. And so, and maintaining April, a balance, how did you go yeah. about getting your license? Well, I was first licensed in Nashville, Tennessee, and I have no idea how I got my license. It was so long ago; I don't remember what the <laughs> requirements were, but um, I got it. I guess. Um, having worked on that huge case for eight months as a paralegal, you know, but I did all the investigation work, um, gave me enough hours or something. And then um, I moved to California and got licensed California, and I'm still licensed there. And then I moved to Nevada about five years or so ago and got licensed here. So you just have to follow their requirements. It's usually like... 2,000 hours or something, plus you have to have major background check done on you. Right. California is actually 6,000 hours. And uh, I 6, think, uh, I don't know, I don't remember what Nevada is now, but I know yeah, it's, I know. Uh, their it's requirements in Nevada, I believe, are more stringent than they are in California. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And, and I don't know about Tennessee. So are you still licensed in all three states, or have you added more to it? I'm not, no, I let my license in Tennessee... Um, I retired it. You retired it. <laughs> so um, I don't work. I don't work out of there anymore. Okay. But I all do right. work in um, Northern Nevada and all of. I mean, excuse me, Northern California or all of California, but mostly Northern California mm-hmm. and uh, Northern Nevada. 
So, April, do you only do criminal defense or do you, do you take other kinds of cases? I take other kinds of cases, but I would say 95% of what I do is, is criminal defense. Okay. I do cases um, where the government will hire me for indigent clients, you know, and conflict panel attorneys will, will hire me, and the government mm-hmm. pays the bill um, on all levels, state, county, and federal. Plus, uh, most of my work really comes from private attorneys, I would say, or private clients. So you've really always been on your own? Always, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Has that been difficult to, to um, build a business, build a, a private investigation agency doing criminal defense, or has it been fairly simplistic for you? It was pretty strange, really, because a friend of mine, well, it's, to be totally honest with you, I, I went to um, be employed by a major PI agency in Memphis, and I was fired after like three weeks or something. Um, but it, here I am putting myself out there. That's but, okay. Um, People need yeah. to hear these kinds of stories. So yeah, I learned that the owner, and I kind of had a sense of this before, but I figured he already knew who I was. Um, like to have you know relationships with his female investigators. And when he found out that I was gay, he fired me. <laughs> so really? at that point, a, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, you know, just get licensed yourself. So I was like, yeah, why didn't I think of that? So I did. And um, I got hired right away, which was the strange part because, you know, I had just sort of been new to Tennessee even really. And um, the law firm I was at, only did maybe 10% criminal law, so they weren't really known for that. So, But the federal defender's investigator in Nashville, Tennessee, called me up. I don't even know how he knew I got my license. I just had my license like maybe a week. And he said, I heard mm-hmm. you got your license. I want to meet you. So we went and had lunch. And then he referred me to an attorney who gave me that double homicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then when we... Got acquittals on both cases. You know, you know, everybody was calling me. So, well, good, good for lucky, you. I guess I, yeah. I love to hear success stories. I mean, that's that's <laughs> very really exciting, April. Really exciting. Um, so now, today in today's world, you are committed to representing probably mostly indigent defendants. Correct? No. Nope, no, not mostly. So retain cases Mm-mm. as well? Oh, yeah, lots of them. Okay, okay. all right. And is is that case that you, the first case you did, was that the worst case that you would say? Or no. was that just uh, one of the many similar cases? Well, worse than what regard? You mean the, the charges or allegations? The, the case itself, the, the details of the case. And the charge and the charges, of course. Um, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but the uh, I've done cases where it's sort of hard to swallow what the defendant is accused of. Mm-hmm. If that's what you mean, um, I've yeah, done cases. Yeah, uh, just asking. Yeah, the where the the defendant was part of a gang, 
in uh, Memphis, and he had been accused of shooting a mother and nephew, I think, it was a long time ago, um, and burying them alive underneath someone's grave. <laughs> Mm. Uh, so he shot them, but they weren't dead. And uh, he, there had been a newly dug grave that somebody was going to be buried in the next day or something. So he created a subgrave under that, covered it up with dirt. Uh-huh. Um, sort of an interesting plan. And um, But they were still alive when he buried them. So that was a rough case, and I've done uh, some... If you look in the book, I, I devote five chapters to the Steadley Alley case, um, accused of rape and torture, I guess you would say, um, over 100 blunt trauma injuries of a uh, Marine cadet who was the adopted daughter of a U.S. ambassador. And when he was, or not him, but um, whoever also took up a tree branch, sharpened it, plunged it inside her so far that it pierced her lungs. Mm. Well, that was a pretty brutal case. That's that brutal. case is still ongoing. Um, okay, April, I, let's, I let's hang on a second, because I'd like to d- yeah. discuss your book a little bit more. Um, yeah. We're going to need to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is April, April Figura. She's a licensed private investigator from Reno, Nevada. Uh, and she has just written a fabulous book. Um called the case for innocence or making a case for innocence and uh i'm really impressed uh april because i know what goes into writing a document that's uh, as large as this one it's uh um uh, like 250 some pages so what made you decide to go this route to make to write a book tell me about that um just for public awareness, you know, I just want to help people understand what really happens when you are accused of, charged with a crime, and that police are not going to help you, <laughs> that okay. you need defense, and, and why defense is so important in general in just maintaining the balance um, you know, upholding our constitution, uh, our rights, and uh, making sure that everything hopefully comes to the middle from both sides, you know, it's essential. Otherwise, um, you really don't, you don't have much of a chance. That's very line. true. And, you know, and some people would say, um, you know, if, if you know the person's guilty, why would you try to defend them? What, would you, what do you say to that? Because, and this, this is, was my number one challenge in doing what I do. As I said earlier, I never planned on being a criminal defense investigator, nor would mm-hmm. I ever have even thought I would entertain it. It's just a whole other world to me, you know, while I was doing music. And it took me a few years mm-hmm. <laughs> to understand what I was even doing, that I'm helping all of us. I'm protecting everybody, myself, my family, everybody, my neighborhood. You know, like I said, everybody is vulnerable to overzealous law enforcement, prosecution, um, a, a false accusation, and I am protecting people's rights. That's what I'm doing. Protecting the Constitution. You're defending the Constitution. That's absolutely true. Okay. So now I love what I do. I feel it's it's very honorable and it's essential. (laughs) Well, I think you made a great statement. Um, The way I came across you was an article that you had in Pursuit Magazine, which is an online online magazine, and what it says here is a criminal defense investigator makes the case for her important role in the justice system, and I think it's absolutely true. Um, so, back to your book. What did, uh, did you self-publish, by the way? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you, um, did you go through some decision-making to self-publish or to try to get somebody to publish for you? What was, the, what was your thought process on that? I, you know, it's, I'm still on the fence about it. Okay. I, um, 
I just wanted to get it out there for people, and I didn't want it to sit on the shelf of a publisher's office, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really in service to the community that I write it. I mean, I understand at the same time it's like a big, giant business card, but mostly um, I just want to get, get it out there, you know, the information. And I've started writing a series of books that are fictional, but they're based on real cases from the perspective of, of a defense investigator and going through the journey. So it's, it's a real, real deal, except they're made-up cases. And once I get a couple of those done, I'll probably approach a, a publisher who, who maybe would pick up, you know, the nonfiction book. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just not my, it's not my world. So I don't, you know, I didn't have, so, I didn't have a lot of advice and I, I just wanted to get it out. Okay. And, and for people that are listening to the show that are interested in getting it, how would they go about getting it, April? It's on Amazon. You can go to Amazon. It's okay. making a case for innocence, true stories of a criminal defense investigator, and it also has a Kindle version as well. Great. Fabulous. And, and for our uh, private investigators out there who have many stories in their head, I know, and how, uh, once you get it written, how do you get it on Amazon? Super easy. They have... Um, sort of a online area where you just upload your, your manuscript. And I think they sort of scan it for anything inappropriate. Um, and so once it's approved, you just hit publish and there it is. That's as fabulous. As getting, I, didn't, I didn't know about yeah, that. As far as getting, yeah, as far as getting printed copies, they print on demand. So, like, I don't have 100,000 copies in a warehouse somewhere. If I need you know, 30 copies because I'm talking at a seminar. Uh-huh. I just order 30 copies and they print it and I get them in a couple of weeks. And are they bound in everything? Yeah. I mean, minor soft cover, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. And so when you submit yeah, it, right. when you submit it to Amazon, it's a finished product. They don't do anything with yes. it. No. Okay. Mm-mm. Good. Well, that's that's really good information for those budding authors yeah. out there that would like to get their books published. Super easy. Yeah, good. Thank you. And then, and then what I did was I just, you know, put it on Twitter, basically, and I got a lot of feedback. I uh, created a Twitter, Twitter following. And I even got um, some casework from it. But more importantly, I got a lot of people, like families, that reached out to me who's you know, sons were incarcerated and they feel are innocent and they just wanted some guidance and some help. Who should they talk to? Mm-hmm. So it was great. So then I, I got to meet those families on the phone and help guide them in finding resources they need. That's And that's a, really a great service because you're right. People don't know where to turn. And yeah. if they do reach out to somebody, usually because they're not paying you, uh, people shine them on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether it's an investigator or an attorney, which are ne- they're pretty much the only people that can um, give you details unless it's the Innocence Project, and the Innocence Projects right. are just overwhelmed with their own right. cases. Which should tell us something. Why are they overwhelmed? <laughs> well, it's right? true. 
It's true. And <laughs> although from talking to them, uh, you know, not every case is worthy of uh, no. pursuing for innocence. Some, no, some but look cases. how many are. I mean, there's been like 2,265 last time I counted, last October, I think, uh-huh. exonerations um, in the last, I don't know, 30 years or something. It, and, and a lot of those incarcerated, convicted had pled guilty, even to murder. Oh, but I know. they're innocent and exonerated. This is yep. insane. Yeah, no, I know that's true. There's all kinds of false confessions. There's there's all kinds of reasons that people plead guilty or and get convicted and it's it's not a it's not a perfect system for sure. There's a lot there's a lot needs to be done with it. I think only like five percent of cases actually go to trial. The ninety five percent of you know, people charged that plead. Surely a lot of them are guilty, but I think it's something like 63% of those exonerated for having committed homicide pled guilty. Mm-hmm. I know that's true. I've seen those stats as well. Um, it's, it's a sad state of affairs, and it just goes to show how really anybody can be manipulated um, yes. when there's... Um, people on the other side that are convinced that you did a crime and they've convinced you that you did it as well. Exactly. And some even know that you're not guilty and will still force you or encourage you, overly encourage you to plead. It's a conviction, you know, it's on their resume. Unfortunately, there's a lot of corruption out there. Well, it's true because everybody's out for themselves. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, we know, and I'm sh- there are a lot of good police officers, investigators, detectives out there. We know that, but there's also yep. many that are out for themselves, and and want to get another stripe yep. on their sleeve. Prosecutors as well. Away, unfortunately. How, how, blows me away how people just don't care enough about people. You know, we have to care more about people than we do about money. It just we have to. You know, when I talk to people about uh, criminal defense investigators, because criminal defense, uh, I'm sorry, criminal defense attorneys, criminal defense attorneys get such a bad rap. They're they're considered unethical, sleazy, all of the, you know, the bad words you can think of, you know, typically is what people apply to criminal defense attorneys. But the reality is most criminal defense attorneys are are doing what you're saying, God's work, because... You know, everybody's their enemy if you think about it. The judge is, the prosecutor is, the uh, the jury's looking at them askance, the defendant isn't happy, the defendant's family isn't happy. The defense attorneys have no friends, <laughs> essentially. No. And and the prosecutors, on the other hand, are getting their assignments, their yeah. promotions and all of that their based re-elections. on their convictions. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what? Their re-elections, I mean, that's why they need all these convictions. Right. That's right. The, yeah. The district attorney, the elected district attorney or prosecutor, uh, they don't get elected unless they have a good conviction record. But even the, right. the deputy oh. district attorneys, you know, they're not getting their promotions and, and assignments if they're not getting convictions. It's a really bad thing right. for a prosecutor to have an acquittal 
or even a hung jury. Right. That's, That's that right. really doesn't bode well for them. So it's a right. It's and a when really the, when defense quote wins, it's like, you know, you put a you put a guilty guy on the street. Um, well, usually not. You know, in my 18 years, I don't believe that any guilty person I've helped uh, support in, throughout my work has been released. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I have helped release many innocent people. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically, if you're guilty, there's probably nothing to find to help you release, you know. But, I mean, I know right. it happens, but I haven't seen it. So it's just a uh, real would- huge misconception. Yeah, I would go along with that because a, a lot of times what what an investigator can do is unearth exonerating information so the person never right. goes to trial. Right. Nobody it's hears about there. those. It's not there. Yeah. That doesn't get the front page of the press. That doesn't get the 10 o'clock news. <laughs> it just, they only go on the news when they get arrested. Or yeah, and you, investigators have to have a criminal defense investigators need some real backbone and uh, some real confidence because we are seeing like the defense attorneys, it's, you know, the scourge of the earth and helping criminals go back on the street. Meanwhile, I think prosecutors put more criminals back on the street by offering all their plea deals. Most of those people, a lot of those people are guilty and they're just either getting super light sentence or they're just back on the street completely immediately. But, um, we are seeing, we get a lot of criticism and you really need to stand up for yourself, for what you do. That's why it's important to understand what you're really doing in the big scheme of things is defending mm-hmm. the Constitution. And if nobody's going to do that, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. We need you. And w- and we know our Constitution's under assault. It is. There are mm-hmm. the things in our Constitution that a lot of people really don't like. Yeah. Well, so you you said, trying to get it right. Just trying to get it right. Um, let's see. I'm looking at your article here. Um, you said to a degree, it's a problem of philosophy. Many prosecutors are in the business of pursuing guilt, so they see it everywhere. That's also what happens with law enforcement. Absolutely. You, you know. We, we interface with law enforcement all the time. And I had one detective, one homicide detective, ask me one time, how do you do this? And I, said, well, you, I said, well, you know what? Sometimes people are innocent. And he went, not murderers. <laughs> Which just really cracked me up because, yeah, so somebody's charged with a murder. They're not innocent, no matter what the situation is. But maybe other people are. I don't know. <laughs> And I, I, yeah, I and it's, it's, it's bad philosophy, and there's also lots of mistakes. I mean, public employees, like public defenders also, and, and prosecutors, and law enforcement, they're overloaded. They have yes. so much cases they going do. on, they make mistakes. I mean, here's a, here's a famous case that I did. Um, it was a... The defendant walks into a vacant house, his family's home, where he knows there's squatters in there doing drugs, whatever. He walks in with guns in each hand. <laughs> the door is locked from inside, the outside door. He breaks it open, walks into this dark bedroom, sees movement and fires and kills mm-hmm. the guy. 
So there was like just throwing numbers out there. Like the police said there were seven bullets. They found seven fired bullets and there were seven shots in the guy and he was under a blanket and there's seven holes in the blanket. Well, if they would really look at the autopsy report, they would understand there was actually eight fired shots, eight wounds, and only seven holes in the blanket. So two years later, when I get the case, I go and I say, there has to be another bullet. So I go look for the bullet. There it is. It's on the floor. I find the bullet. We call police and let them know so they can come collect it. They make me wait there four hours mm. before they come. When I, excuse me. Um, when they walk by me, I hear them whisper, want to be detective. You know, they're pissed off uh-huh. that I found something they missed that's going to change the whole case. And I left a piece of paper with an arrow on it on the floor pointing to the bullet because it's kind of hard to see in the carpet. Uh-huh. And they made me stay out of the room. But I stood in the door frame videotaping them because I didn't trust them. And um, after a while, they go, fine. Okay, so where is it? <laughs> Like, well, there's a piece of paper on the floor with an arrow. They're like, show us. I mean, Uh. you know, we got a full acquittal on the case because it was self-defense. And the guy had raised his arm with uh, something in his hand. Anyway, um, I don't even remember what my point was. Oh, they make mistakes. They're, they're, They're in a rush. They have, you know, huge caseloads. And then their mentality on top of it is that we are scourge. I mean, like, what are you even doing here? Not only are you a defense investigator, but you're a female. I mean, you just have to have some <laughs> <Right>. backbone. <laughs> and, and, Amber, and we, do need, your we work, need to know? take another quick break. We'll be right back <laughs> okay. with that. Thank you. <laughs> News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest, April Tregora, does defense investigations uh, all over the state of California and I guess in Nevada as well. Um, we're just talking about a case she had where she found evidence uh, after the crime scene had been cleared by the police department. So uh, I'm curious, April, the eighth bullet, how did that make a difference in the case? Because um, the deceased had raised his hand with what appeared to be a weapon in his hand, and he was first shot in his hand. And that was the bullet that they did not recover. He wasn't okay. asleep under the blanket. It was it was self-defense. Yeah. Okay. And do you, you, do you know what he had in his hand? Did that ever come out? He had a flashlight, black flashlight in his hand. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so in the, how- um, in the trial, and I, I rarely, this is, this is kind of cool. I rarely go to trials, but I went to this verdict. I didn't go to the trial. I went to the verdict reading. And the entire, it seemed like the entire police force was there on the mm-hmm. side of prosecution. I've never seen that. There had to be 20 cops, 30 cops in there. And um, I'm sitting on the other side with the family. And uh, we get a verdict of not, not guilty. And this was a big case. So the next day, um, well, right then I went up and I hugged. Um, the defense attorney I was working with and I hugged the defendant and there was lots of media there and the next day the full front page of the newspaper was me hugging the defendant but it was the back of my head and his face and it says family members congratulate so and so (laughs) family members and I I just wanted to laugh it's like you know they don't know who we are they don't know what we do but that's okay. My mom's like, you don't want your name on there. <laughs> just, just, you're safer without it. But, you know, we work behind the scenes and you we're do. not always getting the accolades that the defense attorney gets. But you're doing the work just the same. Absolutely. And, you know, and the reality is the defense attorney really can't do their work unless there's a good investigation. Right. Yeah. They don't dig up yeah. evidence. They just have evidence that you give them that they argue, you know, for. That's right. That's right. And so in this case, it went all the way through trial with a verdict. Yeah. So uh, yeah. from the time he was arrested to the time that he was acquitted, how long did that take? Hmm. Um, good question. Maybe it was a couple of years. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's and that's another misnomer for people. They think that, you know, that these things are going to go fast. They don't ever go fast because no. the reality no. is you need time to pursue all yeah. these avenues of inquiry. And just yep. just the police reports alone, just getting through them and analyzing them takes time. Uh, then you have to interview all the witnesses, and then you have to go to the crime scene. So um, people might be interested in knowing why you stayed at the house until the police got there. I stayed outside the house, but um, just 
to help them find the bullet. But, I, you know, just custody, chain of custody. Right. That's what, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, one of the questions that comes up a lot um, on on ethical reviews is if you are working on a criminal defense case and you actually go to the crime scene and the weapon is there laying in the weeds, what do you do? What do you do with that? Just, just leave it there. Take a picture and call the attorney. <laughs> right. Maybe you, you don't manipulate the evidence. Yeah. Right. Would you stay with the weapon? I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't leave it. You can't touch it. You can't leave it. <laughs> it's right. a difficult situation because the attorney, you're right, the attorney has to deal with it. You can't call law right. enforcement because there may be attorney-client privilege involved. Right. I called the attorney when I found the bullet, and she called law enforcement. So I let her handle the legal issues. And did it? Did they ever say why it took them four hours to get there? They said they needed to get a warrant. So it took them a while to have the judge sign a warrant to enter and research, you know, even though they already had a warrant for that house. Uh, huh. I think they're just messing with us. <laughs> yeah, well, they weren't happy. could be. Could be. And then when they when they did actually dig the bullet out of the floor, what did, did they say anything to you? No. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're, as far as they're concerned, you're a bit invisible. I'm a pest. You're a pest, yeah. <laughs> they're like, wait outside. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And they called me a wannabe detective. I mean, they said that. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, wait outside, let us do our jobs. I'm like thinking, well, if you had done your jobs, we wouldn't be here right now. But okay, go ahead. You know, mm-hmm. it would be nice if we could just work together. I mean, we're, you know. You're absolutely right, and that's always been a mystery to me as well, because we're all we're all after the same goal, and that's the truth, to find out what really happened. And uh, yeah, we're on the side of of uh, working for the defense attorney, but that doesn't mean we manipulate information or we make up things or we or anything like that. Uh So. No, there's never a personal stake, you know. I mean, just do your job and do it really well. So, uh, April, what's a favorite story you have in your book? Which one's your favorite? They're all really tragic. (laughs) But um, I I think I started mentioning Sedley Alley. Um, I got on that case 18 years after he was convicted or after the crime. And nobody had ever investigated him for 18 years. So he's on death row and mm-hmm. federal defender's office hires me to, you know, just check off boxes basically. And so I went out and investigated because that's what I do. And um, I found lots of evidence of innocence, um, forensic evidence that did not match him, coerced, coerced confession and Brady material, time of death. Nobody had ever dug it up. The coroner's Wait. original handwritten notes. Um, why don't you explain? Excuse me, excuse me, April. Why don't you explain what Brady material is? Brady material is um, exculpatory evidence that the prosecution has kept from the jury. So they're supposed to, if they know of anything exculpatory, meaning 
um, that supports innocence, they're supposed to provide it to the defense. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They they kept it out of the trial completely. And um, what? And do you remember what it was? What was the Brady material? Yeah, it was the coroner's handwritten notes of the time of death, and um, the accused was under police surveillance during that time and the whole night, as a matter of fact. And so they changed the time of death at trial on the on the typed report. Hmm. But the handwritten notes had a different time. Um, so this is one of many things that I found that pointed to innocence. So not only was there uh, not Brady material not provided, they actually... Uh, there was misconduct on the part of the prosecutor. Yeah. Wow. All right. So what what else happened on that case? Well, so he was executed. <laughs> um, okay. The defense did not prevail. You know, once somebody's convicted, it is so hard, almost impossible to get you know it overturned. Um, even though there's a lot of exoneration. Mm-hmm. Think about how many more there could have been <laughs> had things gone right before trial or during trial or right after trial. But anyway, the longer you wait, it's just hard to get anything overturned. Anyway, so the judge denied I was going to come and testify. Um, we had a blood expert was coming to testify that the blood didn't match him. And Barry Sheck was coming to testify about the importance of testing the DNA that had never been tested in 18 mm-hmm. years. And the judge threw us all out of court. He was, the client was executed. And the daughter, April Alley, and Barry Sheck of the Innocence Project in New York um, are spearheading a a legal campaign, if you will, up to the Supreme Court now to do post-mortem DNA examination. Um, They just wrote about it, this case, in the New York Times, I think, maybe a month or so ago. Okay. So it's it's still active. So well, might the make case, history. so they, they tested DNA. So was this California, Tennessee? Was the case tried in in California, Tennessee? Oh, Tennessee. I sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you were left, based on your investigation, believing in uh, Sedley Alley's innocence. You know, I would say it's, it's very likely that he could be innocent. Mm-hmm. And what you were working for, I, I get, so I'm assuming you were working on a habeas. Yes. And what you were seeking was a motion for new trial or information to uh, get him a new trial. Well, the attorney was, yes. And I yeah. was investigating case for the first time after 18 years, so it's, that's crazy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yes, exactly. And did the did you talk to the original attorney? No. Okay, I wonder I if what I mean, his attorneys, reason was. Attorneys handle attorney stuff. Yeah. I just wonder what that attorney's uh, reason was for not <laughs> doing an investigation. Um, well, they they took the uh, defense of insanity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's so frustrating. <laughs> you know, long it's story. So There's five chapters on it in my book. It's really interesting. Yeah. 
Okay, so folks, uh, get April's book, April Hagura. It's called Making... Uh, what is it called? Making, making, a, ca- making a, case a Case for Innocence. For innocence. Yeah. 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 Uh, on Amazon, it sounds like a fantastic read. I have it right here. I'm looking through it. It looks uh, uh, well worth for anybody that does criminal defense to read because it gives a lot of scenarios that um, all of us who do criminal defense run into and the way April handled them versus maybe the way one of us would handle them. So uh, well, thank you for it, saying that. Uh, let me just add it it's my also my personal journey through you know not wanting to do this work into doing this work and then becoming a big advocate for this work. So Well, you know, I and I have to say that I came into this I didn't even know there was a a business called a private investigator. (laughs) So when I came into this work, uh, I was in the same place. I was very conservative. Um, I believed in the death penalty. All the things that you're saying, you know, because even now, when any of us hear something on the news where somebody's arrested and it's a horrible case, we're going, oh, my gosh. And then you put them away. Yeah. And then you back up and went, well, wait a minute. He could could be innocent, even though the facts sound pretty bad. If you got the right guy, great. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, April. Um, Likewise. Good luck. good luck on your book. And uh, you. I hope to see you presenting at conferences soon uh, and talking about this issue. Because everybody, everybody needs to hear this message. Right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And so if you uh, would like to read her article, you can go online for Pursuit Magazine, P-U-R-S-U-I-T Magazine. It's an op-ed called Doing God's Work from the Dark Side, April Hagora. Thanks you so much, April. You can just go on my website and read, read all my articles. <laughs> okay, what's your, what is your website? Investigation.com. A-D-H-A-D-H-A-D-H-Investigation.com. Okay, great. Fabulous. ADHinvestigation.com. Check it out. And uh, if they need to reach you, they can reach you through the website, correct? That's right. They can. Okay. Thanks, April. Join me again next week, folks, uh, when we declassify more real stories from investigators, real investigators like April Hagura, every Thursday morning. I'm Francie Kaler. It's PIs Declassified. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 